We can get so, let me rephrase that, I can get so complacent about life. Um, we do live in one of the most amazing countries in the world, albeit we've got some interesting challenges on the table at the moment, but let's not let that distract us from the reality that we're sitting in a, an air-conditioned building that we own, um, that we're free to come and worship God how we think we're supposed to and how we want to. That's, in and of itself, pretty amazing. Um, I'm grateful. I don't know about you, but gratitude's a life-giving attitude to have. Um, If you're a grumbler, stop it. Um, And that doesn't mean, I think, more or less of you if you are a grumbler. Um, Because I'm speaking to myself, I'm a grumbler. I grumble from time to time. But I find that if I want anything to change, if I want anything to shift, if I want any of the clouds of gloom in my grumbling to lift, grumbling more isn't going to do it. Having gratitude is going to shift. Gratitude is like the sun coming up after a dark night. Gratitude just is the dawn of a new season. Gratitude will do things that nothing else can. Um, That's just an aside from this message. So we're we're in the book of Romans at the moment, trying to, wanting to, unpack a little bit of what the Apostle Paul had to say to a church in Rome that he didn't start. The other churches that he writes to are mostly church plants that he was involved with directly. Most biblical scholars are of the view that Paul did not start the church in Rome, and nor did Peter, as much as the Roman Catholics might want to claim that. Apostolic secession from St. Peter. Um, Most biblical scholars are also of the view that Peter didn't have a hand-on start to that church either. And it was probably a bunch of spirit-filled people that fled from Jerusalem when Stephen was stoned to death, the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish people, the Jewish Christ followers, out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, as they knew at the time. And so, uh, of course, there's always divergent opinions and none of us were there, so um, it's still all theory. But the point is that he has heard about this group of people that are following Jesus, and he's got a passion in his heart to help them to do it well let me say this when we come together at church like this God's heart is for you to do his kingdom here on earth well for us to do church well whatever that might look like and there's lots of permutations of what church is in our community and that's not a bad thing but once we're connected to a local church like this what God's heart is that we do it well we actually in doing it well is like well have big meetings and great atmosphere and those things are all really cool and important but they're means to an end the end is more people being exposed to the good news that Jesus Christ is the son of God and there's no other way in which we get to enter into the presence of God and so Paul is spending quite a bit of time in this letter to the Romans unpacking some really unhelpful things so it really is a fantastic concise theological outline of our human condition that is essentially separation from God. No Jesus, no connection with God. As simple as that. You might think that there are other ways to connect with God and we can contemplate God, we can think about God, we can wonder about God, but to actually connect with God involves a moment in time where we consider and then actually then believe and confess, as Paul unpacks later on in this book, that Jesus is Lord. 
There, there is an extreme level of exclusivity around the Christian faith, which many, many people in a democracy, the Western world, despise. The exclusivity of the gospel is a, uh, a very misunderstood and at times not well explained phenomena, but it's like there's only one key to the door and you've got to have that key in your heart. His name's Jesus. There's not other keys. There's only one key that opens the way into the presence of God and his name's Jesus. And so Paul unpacks the fact that it's God's his sovereign choice to bless Abraham. Like the story just is, is in the Bible in Genesis that God called Abraham to go to a place where I'll, I'll show you where to go and I'll bless you. It's like we read it from the perspective of looking back in it and hearing about that story. But it's easy to miss the fact that there were, let's just say, hundreds of thousands of people on planet Earth at that point in time. But he picked that guy. And Paul wants to emphasise in this letter that it's God's sovereign choice. Choosing to use you or not use you for a mission on earth is God's sovereign choice. And sometimes we, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, we get caught up in a very unhealthy headspace around this. But the fact that it is God's sovereign choice is actually freeing, not condemning or life-ending. Um, and so he chose to bless Abraham and his descendants and to reveal his character, not Abraham's character, his character. God's revealing his character to us throughout the Old Testament and the ups and downs of the Israelites and all the troubles and challenges they have and moments where they disobey, they lose the plot, they get kicked out of their country, thousands of them get killed. Um, it's, it's just a messy story of humanity that woven through it is the character and the heart of God, which is to love people and call them to himself. Um, so as you read the book of Romans, and I hope you are um, looking through the book of Romans with us as we go over these next few weeks, um, there's an interesting word in English that I think can be life-changing. And it's life-changing because it's actually inviting a response from you. And it is the word, therefore. In your Bible, I want you, if you've got a paper version of the Bible, highlight the word therefore. Your version's annoying because you can only highlight a verse, not a word. Um, I'd like to be able to just highlight a verse, um, uh, sorry, a word. And in my Bible, I'd go through the book of Romans and highlight the word therefore. Therefore is connecting what's following with what's just been said. And it's Paul's way of, with an argument, a rhetorical argument, inviting you to therefore. He's saying, there's a response to this. So when we preach the gospel, when we worship together and there's a person in our midst who's not given their life to Jesus, the whole heartbeat of a church like ours is hoping that we can take any person who's not made that choice to find their therefore moment. So God's love for you is boundless. Therefore, give your life to him. The blood of Jesus is all sufficient to deal with your sin. Therefore, put your trust in him. There's the word therefore. So I want you to say it with me loudly. Therefore, therefore. you might be sitting in church this morning with a set of circumstances that you don't understand. But Jesus is continuously inviting you and me to look at that situation, good, bad or ugly, and have a therefore conversation with God. This is going on. Therefore. And the choice might be, keep on keeping on grumbling. Might be, let's change tack here. We're going to get started getting grateful. 
It might be, let's change tack, let's start getting generous. Let's change tack, let's completely change course altogether in life. It might be, well, it doesn't work without Jesus, therefore I'm going to try Jesus. And if Jesus is a hoax, if the whole gospel is a con job, you've got nothing to lose except the fact that you've been conned. And it's like, I'm prepared to take that risk, providing, and for me, it's a decision that's not, not going down that road. It's like, well, um, I call that a win-win, if you ask me, but that's just might, might be my naive opinion. So here we go. We're going to go through three chapters of the book of Romans in a real hurry, about 15 minutes max. Chapter three. In this chapter, Paul is presenting his case around the issue of righteousness. He knows that we all tend to live a life of comparison. Anybody prepared to put their hand up and say, um, yep, I do that. I compare myself with other people. I compare myself with lots of things. And if you're not prepared to put your hand up, I'll just assume that you're just a little self-conscious because I think we all do. You know, comparison is how we work things out. Like contrast in a photograph is what makes a photograph a photograph. If it wasn't any contrast, there wouldn't be a photograph to look at. And your life and my life is built around a life of comparison. We label things. We name things. So we look at the differences between things. We look at the difference between people. We look at the differences between ideas, emotions, means, position. Just think of a few examples. If we're just tall, short, wealthy, poor, white, black, Australian, Calathumpian. We compare and we look. And the sad thing is there are many people in the world who are making use of comparison as a place of division. And like I said earlier up, the issue for me becomes one of unity. When we start ploughing the paddock of division, we're going to have problems, maybe not today, but down the track, division is not going to end well. Division doesn't end well. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on behind the scenes around the world at the moment that I say are not building unity or a way forward that is going to be blessed because we're obsessed with comparing and comparing then takes a step to moralising that is better than that. That's morally or ethically superior to that. That group of people are morally or ethically superior. We're less enlightened and thick as two short planks. We don't know. So we need to be enlightened by the 21st century Gnostics who've got secret knowledge about the future. They're called politicians and their advisors. Just being a little bit sarcastic, it's okay. But they are. Paul, Paul rips into the Gnostics. The Bible has, like the religious Gnostics, we've got political Gnostics who have taken their place. And my point in bringing that up to you is there's a solution to that. Choose Jesus. The world can go where it wants to, and it's going to. Who knows where it's going to end up in the next 50 years. But Jesus isn't going anywhere. The kingdom of God's not shutting up shop and leaving town. The kingdom of God is coming like an avalanche, and we just need to keep walking with Jesus. Anyone say amen to that? Put our trust in him. Don't get discouraged. I do get discouraged by how complicated the world is. But on the other hand, I, I can't afford to stay there and get all glum because that's fruitless. I want to move over here to the Bible where I start encountering God afresh and getting a sense of this is all a means to an end. And Jesus comes out on top. 
even if it appears we're getting pushed down and pushed around and things are happening that's like, that's not right, this is wrong. That's a, we make all those judgment calls. And Paul is saying in this Roman context that all of this mess is actually meant to help us see something. But he said, but don't let the mess deceive you. And the issue becomes righteousness. He's saying, let me start in verse 5 of chapter 3. If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath upon us? So, and in brackets, it's God, I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue this. If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? He's actually not afraid to ask the hard questions about this comparison thing. But he's actually having none of it. He's saying at the end of the day, you're actually having a conversation that's a dead end street because God's glory and righteousness and goodness is not dependent on being compared to yours. It's independent of that. And so there's no value in comparing or trying to compare or trying to lift your righteousness by good works or being a kind person or being a certain type of person, belonging to a certain tribe, being a particular part of the community. None of that is going to elevate your righteousness to the place where God is. And so my first point this morning is this. Stop living a life of comparison. If you want to live a life and thrive in life, stop comparing yourself with other people. Start looking to Jesus. I'd say this. um, We are surrounded by it in 2023. And one of its manifestations is what I would term loosely a politics of envy. There's this undercurrent of divisive hatred about different groups of people in the community that didn't used to be part of the way our community lived, in my view. This is all part and parcel of what Paul introduces us to in Romans chapter 1, by the way, that as things go from bad to worse in the world, at the end of chapter 1, he says something highly disturbing. He says that God will give them, the people who are causing this trouble, over to a powerful delusion. Think The Matrix, the movie The Matrix. People don't know they're actually living a deluded life. That's kind of where we're headed. Um, The only solution, antidote to that delusion is faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say that clearly and unequivocally. Jesus Christ is the one, he's the blue pill or the red pill. Which one? I'm not sure which it was if you watch the movie The Matrix. A moment with Jesus will bring him out of the clouds. I was talking with Jackie before the service this morning about when we got ill in Fiji and came home and I remained not well for 10 days. And I had this funny moment where I woke up a week later and had just felt off, a bit foggy in my head. And I woke up on the Saturday morning and I woke up and thought, oh, the clouds are gone. All of a sudden I just felt like I could think straight and life felt good again and back to being me, not somebody else. And so we've got this delusion, dimension of what's going on around us. And I don't want to emphasise what's causing that, what's pushing it, whatever. It's the Bible kind of just lets us get the impression that it's going to be part and parcel of the mix. Part and parcel of the antidote is to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Look to God, all right? So stop living a life of comparison. Chapter 4 shifts from righteousness to the issue of faith. The key to faith is this. Let me just put this right there, 
blunt. Believe God. Not just believe. I think there's such an important difference to be laboured as a point here. We've got to actually believe God. In Romans 4 verse 3, Paul recalls that what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul gives us a strong heads up here about how to stir up faith in our lives. Believe God. That means when we read statements or promises in the Bible, our response is to believe God, not the promise. Alone. Does that make sense? Like, the promise is one thing, but it's who said it is the other. I thought of an analogy. You're in a building on the fourth floor and it's on fire. You're at the window and you're looking out the street, there's a fire truck coming and there's a fire person, a firefighter on the footpath down there who looks at you, you look at them and they shout back, everything's going to be okay. Oh, it's a firefighter, I'll believe them. So you sit down on the floor, face close to the ground, trying to avoid the smoke and you perish because you just believed the fire person. Compare that to fire engines turned up, the ladder's been put up to the fourth floor window, the fire person, the firefighter is three quarters of the way up the ladder and you're looking out the window, freaking out, and that firefighter says, everything's going to be okay. Come here. See, the statement is actually being said by somebody else who has the means to help you. God's got the means to help you. So just believing the promise is not the whole deal. The whole deal is believing the promise because God said it. Does that make sense? I think there's a huge difference. It's because God said it. And sometimes we can name it and claim it in faith. It's like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, well, that's the promise. But who said it? That means for me, I've actually got to go to the one who said it. Not just sit back and hope that the promise stands, which it can. I've seen scenarios where our passivity, apart from believing... Still gets a breakthrough. I haven't quite worked that out. But I'm of the view today that Paul's inviting us to step forward, step into the promise and approach the, the one who promised it is more important to you than the promise. Does that make sense? Yeah. The promise maker is more important than the promise that's been made. That's probably another way of saying it. So Paul wants the Roman church, my heart this morning is I want your faith to come alive afresh. Have a brand new day of faith. Come back to God. Maybe standing on the promises is a little bit shaky for you because of your experience of life. Well, don't abandon going to God. Just go, God, I've got some baggage around that one. Doesn't really help me. But you said it. Your words declared it. I'm going to come to you. and I'm going to let you help me get over my indignation about X, Y, and Z, whatever. Many of us experienced unmet expectations in this arena, included the way forward is to lower expectations. Don't do that. Lift the bar. Go back to God again. Anyone say amen to that? Yeah. Um, lost my spot. 
That's a bad time to lose your spot. And, and not be disappointed when God doesn't come through. Because sometimes he doesn't. Like I started out, you might make room for God and then he's going to go, okay, Bruce, now it's time to wait. Just going to have to wait for a bit. It's like, oh, really? Yes, you do. So Paul's invitation then is to take a different route, believe again. If you've given up believing, my encouragement this morning is believe again. Not just the promise, but believe the one who said it, God. So the question to consider for this second point is, what have I stopped believing about God and God about? What have I stopped believing about God and God about? Repent. And turn back to him this morning is my invitation. So that's kind of chapter four in a nutshell. Then the, f- the fifth chapter starts off with therefore. So righteousness and faith are unpacked in three and four. Chapter five starts with a therefore. So with righteousness and faith, therefore, let's listen to what he says. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And he goes on to say, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces. Say, suffering produces. Suffering produces. Say it with some more attitude. Suffering produces. Suffering produces. Ooh, I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the intent of that. I don't like it as a Westerner in a country where we medicate for every pain possible, where we avoid pain at all costs, where we, by comparison, talk about disadvantage as if it's the end of the world. And for some people, it's very complicated being disadvantaged one way or another, disadvantaged socially, economically, ethnically. All these words are all in the political arena and get thrown around like trash. Very, very powerful and messy. They're words that are all trying to imply that the right thing is to avoid suffering. And none of us in our right mind, unless we're a sadist, wants to suffer by choice. But let's just say in the human condition, suffering appears to me at one level or another, to be part of the way life just unfolds. So Paul is having something to say about it. Rather than pretending it doesn't happen, rather than pretending there's a solution to this that human beings can put in place, that is to eradicate suffering, we're going to eradicate climate change, we're going to eradicate COVID-19, we're going to eradicate X, Y and Z. That mindset is a mindset that's opposed to this thought, suffering produces. Don't have you ever thought this through? It's not a very positive line of thinking. (laughs) On the one hand, because it's about a topic that's not expressly pleasant, but it is actually a surprise that suffering produces, and listen what it produces, perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So as a culture, we're obsessed with dealing with suffering as the enemy. In the realm of faith, Paul proposes that suffering produces something nothing else can. 
Let me say it again. Paul is proposing that suffering will produce something nothing else can. If you've suffered in your life, you probably haven't been rejoicing at your suffering. But let me say this unequivocally, you have fruit from that suffering that is good fruit. You will have fruit from your suffering that is life-giving to you and to others. It is not pointless. How encouraging is that? It's like rather than wondering why am I going through this, it might be possible to think of it through this lens. Wow, this is really not that nice. But I'm trusting that God has got a plan. God's actually working out something for me on the other side of this, whatever that might be. Stop and think about that for a moment. If we as a community only ever look at suffering as a problem to be solved, and we should solve problems of suffering, I'm not saying we don't do anything about it, we'll never see the fruit it can produce. Is it possible some of your darkest moments have produced perseverance, character and hope? I'm certainly hoping that that is the case. So we finish with Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. So you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Paul explains that Jesus is the answer, and he uses the example that Adam was the one who brought sin. So the sin of one brought sin on all of us. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that through the righteousness of one, his son Jesus, the sin of all of us can be dealt with. And you go, well, that's a bit of a long bow to draw. But he goes on to unpack that. It's because the gift of grace, God's ability to cover every 7.6 billion currently people on the planet's sin with the blood of his son is because God is so big. God is so outside of the realms of anything we can imagine. So our heads can get our head around, we kind of go, how can one person mean we're all cursed with this thing? But it's kind of like cascaded out of the Garden of Eden and we kind of get our head around that. And Paul's saying, if you can get your head around that, it's not unreasonable to believe that one person, Jesus, can deal with all our sin, especially when you package it alongside just how awesomely big and superior in every way, shape or form God is to us. So no matter where you're stationed in life, in Rome, in Adelaide, the first century or the 21st century, no matter what you have or don't have, let's just say any human variables, there is one person who can save your life and his name is Jesus. Paul calls us to put our trust in God and believe him, believe God in all circumstances. And that is how we are the church. Why don't we stand to our feet? Maybe this morning you're sitting there right now and there is a therefore on the tip of your tongue. Or maybe I'm putting the word in front of you as a therefore. I've heard what you said, Bruce. Therefore, I'm going to believe again. Or therefore, I'm going to step out again. Or therefore, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not sure what your therefore is beckoning you into. But I'm hoping that your therefore is based in 
a renewed sense of desire to believe God. So let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, right now I pray your hand over every one of us present and watching online. We'd follow in the footsteps of Abraham and believe God. Not just be a believer and leave it at that, but a believer in God. I believe God. I believe God's faithfulness is real. I believe God's promises are real. I believe the Holy Spirit lives in me. I believe the Holy Spirit inhabits the praises of His people. And so, Lord, I do pray that some of us this morning might be right now receiving a miracle of healing. Might be right now receiving a miracle of coming out of a foggy mindset to clarity. Therefore, I'm going to do this. Therefore, I commit to that. Therefore, and I pray, Lord, and claim that that word, therefore, would come alive in our hearts and we would respond to you always. Respond to your love. Respond to your mercy. Respond to your goodness. Respond to your kindness with like for like as much as it's up to us. So guide us and direct us, Lord. I pray for fruitfulness. Lord, I pray for any that have suffered in our church. Maybe there's some private arenas of suffering that you've shared with few or no people whatsoever. I pray right now that God would shine a light on that season. And if you're in it right now, He'd shine a light on it with a therefore. That's happening. Therefore, trust me for something new. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to all launch out. I do pray, Father, that there would be a unity in our church going forward that is mind-blowingly fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you have and you've wanted off course, and you go, yeah, kind of lost my way a bit, I'd love to actually have a chat with you at the end of the service. Come down the front, grab me and say, I want to talk to you some more about that, Bruce. I'd love you to have a moment where we can share some further thoughts and pray and ask Jesus to invade your space. You invite him into your life, become a Christ follower. If you do that down here with me on any Sunday, just privately, that's the step, first step. The second step is within the next little while, like next week maybe, to come down the front in the middle of the service and say, hey, I received Jesus. Trust me, when you get him in your life, if you're a shy, quiet person, you'll have the impetus to do that because he makes you brand new. And uh, we'd love to rejoice with you down the track publicly and say, yes, we're excited about that. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, recommit your life to Jesus, come please and speak to me at the end of the service. Remain standing. We're going to sing one last song before we have time for coffee.